We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time. It's time. for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Nicholas Smith of the UK's Telegraph. Good evening. And on the telephone from Taijong by Donovan Smith. And great to be here, Gavin. And on today's show, we'll be discussing the annual autumn struggle protest in Taipei and charges that it was hijacked by the KMT and Ractopamine. China Airlines reducing the size of its name on the fuselage of its new Boeing 777F cargo aircraft. A sudden end to trial runs of Taijong's newly completed MRT following a major malfunction and possible human transmission of needle phobia. But we'll begin with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs refusing to say very much, if anything at all, about a reported visit to Taiwan this past week by a ranking U.S. intelligence official. The United Daily News published a picture of an unmarked private jet which it identified as being a U.S. military aircraft arriving at Sungshan Airport on Sunday evening in what appeared to be officials waiting in its VIP terminal to greet the chaps who were getting off the aeroplane. Now, on Monday, reports here were rife with titillating news that Rear Admiral Michael Studman, the Director of Intelligence of the U.S. Indo-Pacific Command, was in town while it was also claimed that CIA director Gina Haspel had popped in for a visit. However, the foreign ministry refused to comment on those reports, simply saying they were not true. And it went on to say that interactions and exchanges between Taiwan and the United States are common and visits by US officials to Taiwan are welcome, but the schedule of a senior US official in Taiwan will not be made public. The American Institute in Taiwan also refused to comment. The Pentagon declined to comment, as did the Ministry of National Defense here in Taiwan. But the intrigue did not abate as late Tuesday local media published photographs of that very same aircraft departing from Sungshan Airport, which led the Ministry of Foreign Affairs to once again refuse to comment on reports that any senior military intelligence officials from the United States had wrapped up a three-day visit to Taiwan that very evening. But on Wednesday, the Ministry broke its silence when it was forced to voice its regrets that a decision by the US Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Andrew Wheeler to cancel a planned visit to Taiwan next month. Foreign Minister Joseph, who was quick to appear in front of television cameras to explain that while Wheeler's itinerary had changed, exchanges with America are being maintained at all levels and Taipei will continue to cooperate with Washington on international environmental issues. The foreign minister also dismissed claims that Wheeler's cancelled visit was due to the reported trip to Taiwan by a top US intelligence officer saying the two matters were unrelated. Now, apparently, according to the New York Times, which had cast doubt on Wheeler's travel plans, which were criticised, because apparently he would spend lavishly on overseas travel less than two months before President-elect Joe Biden took office. So that's why that trip was cancelled, allegedly. So, Donovan, some spooky visitors and a cancelled visit. Yeah. Well, there was. Uh, I thought it was very amusing that people thought that uh, Gina Haspel, the uh, head of the Central Intelligence Agency, came. That would not have made much sense. But that Studeman came. Uh, he's the head of the Indo-Pacific uh, Theater uh, the U.S. military's, uh, he's in, in charge of defense for the Indo-Pacific region. And he makes sense. He studied Mandarin. Uh, so he, he would be a very good choice. And that would make a lot of sense that he would li- liaise with Taiwan uh, over intelligence issues. It, now, it comes as part of a recent pattern. I don't know if you've noticed this, but um, and I'm sure you have. Uh, but there's been a lot of it's become basically an open secret there are these interactions between the U.S. 
and Taiwan, and they're making it more open than they used to. Because these kind of interactions used to happen, but they were all definitely very, very hush-hush, and now they're kind of leaked. Um, for example, also the Marines or Special Forces from the United States, like the you know the SEALs and Marines and Green Berets, that they come to Taiwan and they train with Taiwanese forces, that again kind of got leaked recently. So it seems there's this, this kind of pattern where these interactions that have been going on for a while now are now actually being leaked, and I suspect there's a it's intentionally. And the reason I, I think they're doing it is to reassure the Taiwanese people, because China, you'll notice, for example, with the Marines incident, they if you look at the Global Times, they tend to you know they they tend to blow their gasket over any small thing. And they barely mentioned the training with the U.S. Special Forces uh, incident, because and because it's been an, as as one uh, one publication put it, it's the worst kept secret. In other words, everybody knows it's going on, but everyone denies it. And the so essentially now they're you know everybody who's kind of in the know knew these things were going on. But now they're leaking it, at least I think, to make it clear to the Taiwanese public that these things are going on. Meanwhile, the U.S. government and the Taiwanese government all kind of go, oh, well, no, it's not really happening, but everyone knows it is. Yeah, I would agree with that assessment of it. I mean, it's not unusual that um, you have these high-level uh, collaborations between Taiwan and um, and the U.S. on military and defense uh, intelligence issues. Um, you know, they're they're both integral to each other's security in the Indo-Pacific. So it makes perfect sense that you have these kind of exchanges. And, and I think we can safely assume that there have been other visits in the past that we haven't known about. But um, as Donovan says, it, it's what's unusual about this one is that it's it's been made public, and and then that gives the opportunity to Beijing to come out with its its usual kind of um, stock. Um, uh, a stock rebuke of the US and, and Taiwan. And I'd be interested to know more about how this was leaked and where it came from and, and what is the motivation behind it and whether it came from the Taiwanese side or the US side and what message that was that was trying to put out or whether you know it was entirely unintentional. But as Donovan says, um, there does seem to be a bit of a pattern of things becoming public that, that weren't previously public. Um, and, you know, I, I don't... China did come out with its stern response, but I, I don't really see them doing anything over this. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure they were aware that these kind of visits were happening. Because, of course, Donovan, I mean, if he'd wanted to come in secret, obviously no one would have taken a photograph of his aeroplane or her aeroplane. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it seems like, you know, again, I, you know, as, as Nicola just, just reiterated, I think there, there is a bit of a pattern here. What's interesting, though, is on the Marines one, uh, the, the publication that it was leaked to was UDN, and that's a pan-blue outlet. So that one may or may not have been... Uh, intentional, but the fact that if you're thinking really strategically, if you're the DPP, leaking it to a pan-blue publication, and if you wanted to really get it out to reassure the Taiwanese people these things are going on, that's actually uh, would be a very strategically clever thing to do, but it seems a little out of character for the DPP, so I really can't say on that uh, as to whether, you know, the these leaks are intentional, but it does feel kind of intentional because there is a bit of a pattern forming here.
And of course, Nicola, we had the environmental official cancelling his visit because apparently it was yeah. going to cost too much money. Well, I, I think that's probably a fair criticism, especially if you are an environmental chief. You don't want to be like um, racking up too many air miles. Um, but I, I don't think that's particularly unusual. Um, he was invited, but it's a, it's a kind of strange time to come during the transition as well. I, I don't think we should really read too much into his the cancellation of his visit. Um, and I'm sure that... Um, the, the Democrats are going to have a much different approach to the environment. So, I mean, it's always good to have um, high-level diplomatic contact, but would it really have been a value-added trip in this case when the administration is changing? And, and certainly on the environment, the, the, the Biden administration is going to be vastly different from the Trump administration. They're, you know, they're already talking about John Kerry being a climate change czar, and um, it's, it's just going to be, you know, a complete turnaround of of policies and priorities. So I, I think it's actually better to, to wait to see what, what those changes are going to be. Yeah, to, to add what Nicholas said, I, I agree with everything she said there. I, and But to add to it, the, apparently Wheeler, uh, who's the head of the EPA, who, by the way, was a, a coal lobbyist. So I, I don't think he was going to be too concerned about the uh, air miles. But um, he apparently came under criticism in the New York Times for apparently the they would have had to arrange a charter flight which would have cost a quarter of a million dollars and then there was the quarantine issues and again all of this while taiwan is you know while the you know the administration's in a lame duck you know uh, lame duck uh, era so there wasn't really yeah as nicholas said there probably wasn't a whole lot that would have been accomplished although the issues that they were going to talk about I think are ongoing EPA initiatives. Uh, they're, they're the kind of things that tend to go from, uh, it was like marine debris and children's health and stuff like that. It, those are the kinds of initiatives that tend to sort of be passed on from administration to administration. They, they, they didn't look like the kind of things that uh, a Biden administration was going to overturn. Um, so, you know, it, it looked like it might have been a useful trip and it might have carried over into a Biden administration. But again, it was, it's a lame duck administration at this point, and it would have been hugely expensive. So, I, you know, for, for publicity reasons, I think that that's why they shut it down after the New York Times criticism. Right, moving on now, an estimated 50,000 people took to the streets of Taipei last Sunday for the Autumn Struggle protest. Now, the event has traditionally focused on labour rights, but this year's event saw the participation of several KMT heavyweights, and the party sought to move the main focus onto the government's lifting of the ban on import of US pork products containing ractopamine, and also the National Communication Commission's decision not to renew Zhongtian Cable Television's broadcast licence. The rally had the backing of 42 labour groups, and organisers divided divided participants into columns, depending on what they were protesting. But the section of the march focusing on ractopamine and food safety enjoyed the attention of much of the local and international media due mainly to the use of rather large inflatable pigs. Now KMT chairman Johnny Jung took to a pop-up stage set up by the party to slam the opening of Taiwan to what he called ractopamine pork, saying even people from China do not eat it. But you ask Taiwanese people to eat it? How does that make sense? Jung also challenged President Tsai Ing-wen to a 
televised debate on the issue. And KMT Secretary General Li Jianlong later told reporters that the party will organise an anti-ractopamine rally if Tsai is unwilling to debate the issue. Now, President Tsai Ing-wen met with the press on Wednesday to respond to the KMT and she defended the government's decision to open Taiwan's market to, well, rectopamine pork and she stressed that Taiwan needs to adopt a more aggressive attitude towards such issues in order to win international support amid global trade problems and she also said that as Taiwan is a free market, allowing the import of such products will ensure more choice for consumers. While Premier Su Jung Chang on Thursday announced five point plans, a five point plan singular, of regulations regarding US pork, saying that the plan will allow authorities to closely supervise imported pork and safeguard public health. Now, in a nutshell, that plan stated that when the products arrive in Taiwan, they will be assigned commodity classification code numbers to make it easier to track the origin and domestic distribution of the products. Customs will conduct batch-by-batch inspections of all the products to ensure they are meeting international standards. All locally produced pork will carry a circular label on the packaging, while imported pork will have a triangular label that clearly identifies the country of origin, while 260 million NT will be allocated in subsidies to help local governments enforce the rules, while 60 million NT is being budgeted for tighter customs inspections. And the final one was a rule that basically said American slaughterhouses and food processing plants, which are exporting pork products to Taiwan for the first time, that have to be on-site inspections of said facilities before they can move ahead. So, Nicola, the um, usually Labour struggle rally was turned into an anti-rectopamine rally with large inflatable pigs. Yes, well, I'm all in favour of inflatable animals. They're working very well in Thailand as well with ducks. Um, And it's visually um, very um, striking. But, um, I, I mean, there has been some pushback against the KMT for hijacking this rally. Um, It's supposed to be about labour rights and um, it was taken over uh, by the KMT who kind of really pushed the rectopamine issue. Um, And I would be interested to to know why they decided that they had to kind of piggyback onto another rally um, rather than just organise their own and, you know, how many people would have actually been there if it had purely been about rectopamine. Um, it does seem that they are jumping on a bit of a, a bandwagon with this one as, as they weren't exactly um, opposing imports when they were in power. Um, so um, I, I, I just, you know, when it, when it comes to the KMT, I'm, I'm struggling really to find out what their agenda is other, other than like very, very much vocally opposing um, Tsai Ing-wen's agenda. Um, and I think this is another example, really. I mean, I, I just can't, I can't really um, see how the Tsai administration would allow these imports to come if they were going to be so dangerous for public health. Um, Taiwan is is very, very careful when it comes to issues of of, um, public health and and especially when it comes to food imports. And they've said they'll meet international standards. And and frankly, you know, if you're so opposed to ructopamine in your pork, then just don't eat it. You know, just don't buy US pork or, you know, check if you go to a restaurant where their pork has come from or become vegetarian. You know, no one's like forcing you to eat pork with ractopamine. And of course, Donovan, the Premier, coming out with five points. But of course, the opposition have said there are many loopholes in these five points. Yeah, um, I think they're worried about uh, cases where there's like shredded pork or very small amounts of pork or 
Uh, but it, it's really where if you're going to get a pork chop or basically a large piece of pork, it's going to be pretty clear where it came from. Uh, they're worried about maybe night markets won't put up the proper signage and things like that. Uh, but in general, I think if you're going to get a significant amount of pork, you're going to be able to find out whether or not there's ractopamine in it. Um, now, as far as the autumn struggle protest, I, the, the, this is really quite interesting. Right before, now this is organized by 42 labor advocacy groups, and but in recent years they've started adding other issues. And, you know, they did protest, you know, against Maingjo during his uh, presidency. But before this year's uh, Autumn Struggle March, they announced that they wanted to highlight opposition to ractopamine pork, double standards, and one-party rule. And you'll notice, and then they organized their marchers into columns devoted to the issues of food safety and labor rights, the environment and education, and land disputes and freedom of speech. So most, if you look at most of those issues, those are KMT talking points. Uh, obviously, ractopamine pork, which the KMT supported uh, during the Ma administration, and the DPP was opposed. But it's not unusual in Taiwan when a party comes into power that they switch issues. Um, the, the, you know, I mean, the specifically stating the one-party rule, that criticism of the DPP, which keeps losing elections uh, nationally to the DPP, and then blames the DPP for one-party rule for them themselves losing elections, um, uh, is, is very much a KMT talking point. So how they managed to co-opt uh, the autumn struggle, I don't know. But it was, for the KMT, it was a fairly big, uh, it, it was a big success. They got, I mean, even CNA, you know, they organized claimed 50,000 people, which of course is an inflated number, but uh, CNA was confident enough to say tens of thousands. So it was a big crowd. And now what's interesting is Lev Nachman, the uh, academic, was there. And he noted they were still selling Hanguoyu uh, swag at the event. Uh, and there was a lot of Hanguoyu supporters there. And and But he did say, and this is interesting, this is uh, a quote from him, the vast majority of people here are older. I doubt there are a dozen under 40 here who are genuine supporters and aren't here to just take pictures like me. So it does sound very much like this. Uh, Autumn Struggle rally basically attracted a lot of the Han Hanguoyu base, the Han fans, to to this rally. So it was, on one hand, it was a, a show of strength from the KMT to bring out uh, such a large number of people. On the other hand, that it was a largely older crowd tends to show the KMT's demographic weakness. And of course, Nicola, the KMT have said if Tsai refuses to debate Johnny Jung, its chairman, they will have their own rally. Well, let's look forward to all of those inflatable pigs coming out again. <laughs> I'm sure they will. I'm sure they won't let this, this issue go, and I'm sure they'll keep um, pushing her on it. And, and, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. We do need a strong opposition in, in a democracy, but they do need to have, like, um, you know, sensible policies and answers to things rather than just um, oppose for the sake of opposing. And do you think Tsai should have a televised debate with Johnny Jung? Why not? Yeah. Um, I think that, yeah, I, I, I do think it's good when leaders um, 
go head to head publicly um, and kind of make have have more clarity on the issues that and the principles that they stand for. I, I would um, like to see that. Yeah. I mean, Donovan, do you see that happening? Of course, once she opens the door for a debate on one issue, of course, the, the door is open for a debate on every issue. Yeah, no, I, I really don't think she she should be, you know be constantly reactive to what the the KMT uh, accuses her of, especially considering this is an issue that the KMT previously supported. Um, you know, the 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 president needs to concentrate on uh, you know on her job and ruling, not not knee jerk responding to the KMT. And what about the KMT had a Ractopamine rally? Do you see men? Do you see like fifty thousand or more turning out for that? I think that would actually be a very interesting test. I mean, the KMT right now, they're, they're picking on some issues. Uh, Ractopamine and Taiwanese are, are very sensitive to food safety because of long history, of course. Um, and the closing of uh, or the, the lack of license renewal for CTI News, both of those issues have some popular support. And so the KMT is kind of jumping on these bo- both of these issues to uh, you know, because they you know they they need issues that they can oppose the DPP on, and rally their base, and of course try to win over a new uh, to win over new supporters. So they're they're really kind of glomming onto these issues. Um, if they hold a new rally, what'll be very interesting is to see because that will kind of separate out who showed up for the autumn struggle rally and who was showing up for the KMT. So it would be kind of interesting to see. Uh, how much strength the KMT can pull on its own, because the KMT kind of was, you know, was jumping on uh, on Autumn Struggle's coattails here. So I think it would be a very interesting test. And I, I think Nicola is absolutely right. The inflatable pigs are a lot of fun. They are, but of course, Nicola, called sighing when this week when she had a press conference, said stressed. In fact, I'll say the word stressed. She, the government's not going to make anyone eat U.S. imported pork with ractopamine residue, which is obviously very nice of her. She's not going to shove it down people's throats. But of course, she also made the point that basically Taiwan's got to open its market up to certain things it may not like because of trade problems. Well, there is the bigger issue of, of uh, you know, a free trade agreement with, with the US. And this is why the this debate has come up in the first place, that this was um, a red line for the US that it wanted to export its um, its pork uh, to Taiwan. And it, it wasn't going to go ahead with with um, further um, trade agreements with, without Taiwan agreeing to that. So you've got to keep the big picture in mind as well. And I don't think the KMT are necessarily doing that. I mean, what would in the end be for the greater good of Taiwan? I, I You know, a landmark trade deal with the US or um, keeping pork out that people don't need to eat anyway. Um, so I think she's right on that. You do have to have a longer term vision on, the, on this issue. Yeah, I, 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 I completely agree. Uh, but I, I do think that the, I mean, the KMT is well aware of, uh, well aware of the bigger picture. Uh, the, obviously, they previously supported uh, this, and it was the DPP that was in opposition. And Johnny Chang wants to improve relations with the U.S., so I'd be willing to bet if he was actually in power, he'd be fully in support of, in support of it. But because a lot of governing in Taiwan and the policies of the ruling power tend to come out of the government bureaucracy rather than out of party ideology, because really where the two parties break down ideologically and where they're different is on issues of sovereignty and uh, 
national and cultural identity. They're not, they're not very different. They're not, they don't break down on left and right lines. So when one party is out of power, they will take up the cause of food safety. When they're in power, it's U.S. relations. So both parties are entirely well aware, and they will support, I think they would, be, you know, either party would support this if they were actually in power. And that is, as Nicola put it, the, the bigger picture. So because it's the, the kind of issue where it puts uh, the ruling power out of necessity, because they are looking at the bigger picture, on you know, in a position that is somewhat unpopular with the general public, that gives whoever the party is in, in opposition a cudgel, basically, to beat the party in power. And, and that is a consistent pattern. It's gone back and forth between the KMT and the DPP for years now. And it's also interesting that you get, like, labor rights could be taken over by the KMT. Uh, for example, the, that sort of happened to a certain degree, I noticed, you know, with environmental rallies as well, where the KMT recently is, while they were in power, they backed Thai power and the Taijing power plant and continuing to expand uh, Thai power and their ability to spew out coal fumes and, and uh, air pollution. And then, of course, once they're out of power, they immediately turn around and, and become the fiercest opponents to uh, to air pollution coming out of the Taichung power plant. And they showed up on force at environmental rallies. So it, this is kind of just a standard uh, pattern in Taiwan politics. And we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. And welcome back to Taiwan this week. And China Airlines has reduced the size of its name on the fuselage of one of its new Boeing 777F cargo aircraft. Now the carrier's name also now appears at the rear of the aircraft instead of in the middle. Transport Minister Lin Jialong on Thursday said the move is aimed at allowing the airline to highlight images on the fuselage that represent Taiwan. And according to Lin, the airline will formally announce the new design and paintwork of the aircraft when it takes delivery of six of them later this year. Of course, the move comes amid criticism of the carrier's use of the name China Airlines after it was reported that its aircraft, which were used to deliver face masks to countries to help them contain the spread of the coronavirus, were being wrongly identified as coming from China. So, Donovan, they got they got rid of the big words, but it's now at the end of the fuselage. Yeah, well, I mean, the legislature uh, asked the government to address this issue and deal with the, the the issue of the name China Airlines to begin with. Now, I, there are conflicting analyses out there about whether or not and how easy it would be for the airline to change its name uh, to something else. Um, and, and the issue is landing rights in various countries. And in theory, China could say, you know, say to a, a country, you know, well, you can't allow this airline to land if it changes its name. But again, I, I've heard, conf, I've seen conflicting reports out there about how easy, how you know, how easy it is. In some, in some cases, I've read that it's actually quite easy to change the name, and in others that you know that would run into a steep political opposition. But this really feels like a half measure. 
they could have just left the name off. They could have put it in Chinese characters, which most people around the world couldn't read. Um, so it really kind of feels not – just making it smaller and putting it to the back kind of doesn't solve the problem exactly. It, it, it's an improvement, but not – it's not a solution. So I, I feel like they really haven't answered the legislature's call on fixing this issue, um, although I don't think they could get away with, um, because of Chinese pressure, calling it something like Taiwan Air, Airlines or Formosa Airlines. I do think they could get away with calling it something like Plum Blossom Airlines uh, using their traditional Plum Blossom insignia. I think they could get away with something like that. Um, I, I think on this issue, I mean, it's clearly annoying for a lot of people and it's very confusing. Um, you know, I remember when I moved here, I really had to keep Googling, you know, Air China, China Airlines, which one's which. Um, and I think it is very confusing around the world. At the same time, it's a commercial airline and they do have to survive. And this has been a brutal year for commercial airlines. And if they start messing around with the name now, there, there is just going to be a massive headache of paperwork, of branding issues, of landing rights, of China being difficult, um, and they could lose a lot of business business over it. And I, I think people also have to be a little bit practical and and think about you know what kind of economic damage would this do to the to the airline just to to change that name, which you know yes, I, I can completely understand why why many people would want to change it. But if you're going to destroy the airline, then is that really worth it in the end? Um, and I, I just think this is a very difficult year to be taking on those kind of issues. Uh, th- those are all good points, but I could uh, add something to that. Um, that. Yes, absolutely, this is a terrible year and, and so on and so forth. But th- this is the, you know, it's largely state-owned flag carrier, and there's no actual need for that. In other words, they could, for example, take the airline and you know sell parts of it to Starlux and parts of it to Eve, you know Eva Airlines and to Mandarin Airlines. Uh, so there are there are ways where they could actually solve this issue uh, by simply dissolving it as an entity and spreading it to uh, other existing companies. That would be a lot of jobs lost, though. I mean, that would Not be necessarily. a massive uh, headache for the government. Would be. You know, could, would or could be kept. If, if you, you know, for example, Starlux is a, a new airline. Uh, you know, Mandarin is a relatively small one that might want new routes, so they would need to keep a lot of the same people for those routes. But you might not and necessarily they, automatically of, get they, those if routes. If they apportion so. them intelligently, for example, Eva may have a lot of the same routes, so give them to Starlux. Starlux doesn't have those routes, and so they would need to keep. The, the same staff for that. So I think they would, they'd be able to keep most of the jobs. I, I just think that would be a world of pain in you know, what has already been such a terrible year for the airline industry. You know, you just you couldn't keep the same routes um, that China Airlines has. Um, you couldn't just automatically transfer them. You couldn't just automatically transfer jobs. It would be just such a massive lo- logistical feat that I, I really do think people need to weigh up whether it's worth it um, to have that name change or whether this is something that may, 
can maybe be kicked down the line a little bit further and then addressed later. And taking a lighter look at this situation, Nicola, of course, the Transport Minister said basically the big white space can be used to highlight images on the fuselage that represent Taiwan. So what could be painted on this now massively Mm. white fuselage? Bubble tea? No, please not bubble tea. (laughs) (laughs) That seems to come up with, you know, every single um, time this kind of question is raised. Um, I don't know, well, maybe Jade Mountain or um, a flag or... Ah, from Mosin Bear. What flag? Yeah, I know. Then you're opening up another Pandora's box. (laughs) Donovan, what would you like to see on this big white fuselage? You know, I'd be willing to bet they're going to probably go... If they're EVA Airlines, they go with Hello Kitty. We we know that for sure. Um, I think they should go with, like, Mikado Pheasants and, you know... Jade Mountain's a good a good suggestion, but I'd be willing to bet the public will probably want to go with bubble milk tea. I I, I think that's going to probably be the popular choice. Yeah, you're probably right. And I, my money is on there being a competition. Yep, I, I'd be yeah, willing to well, bet you're right. Well, yeah, and I hope they take the competition seriously, and that the competition winner actually, you know, gets to to design the the, the plane. Anyway, seeing as we have Donovan on today's show from Taichung, we're going to move there now. A trial runs of the city's first MRT line have now been suspended following a major malfunction. Now, the malfunction occurred this past weekend, nearly a week into the trial runs, after some of the trains reported an abnormality. Now, the Taichung Mass Rapid Transit Corporation said the trial runs will be suspended until the problem is fixed, but it's hoped they can resume as early as next week. Now, the company that made the trains, Kawasaki Heavy Industries from Japan is basically having problems with US-made coupling connecting the carriages. Basically, one of them broke, something that Kawasaki says has never happened before. So, Donovan, you never actually got to go on the trial run, did you, before it actually got suspended? No, I, it, was, it was only open, you know, it was only running for six days. Um, and there were particularly busy six days for me, so no, I didn't get a chance, and I was really looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, the couplers, uh, it was very interesting. Kawasaki was very sensitive about this. Oh, no, we didn't make that part. Oh, no, 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 not us. And oh, it never happened before. Um, so that was uh, amusing. Um, but the, uh, but so the, what they're going to do is they're, gonna, they're actually going to test all the couplers. They're going to take them off the trains, and there's 18 trains. They're going to test them all, and then they're going to put them back on the trains, and then they're going to test them again, uh, you know, on the trains, and see if they work. And then if everything goes smoothly, they'll restart uh, the trials. Now, officially, they're still saying that the launch date, which, if I remember correctly, is December 19th, is still a go. Um, Now, we'll see if that, that actually happens, but that is still officially the plan. And they hope that if everything goes smoothly, the trials will restart as soon as uh, the, uh, as soon as early this coming week. So, Nicola, a bit embarrassing for Taijong. It's waited so long for an MRT through so many mayors and different people in the administration, and suddenly it all goes to pot in six days. That's okay. Things go wrong. You know, in a hundred years' time, we'll. We'll all be dead and no one will remember. Um, no, it, yeah, it's good to find out now that there's a, there's an issue and um, I'm sure they'll resolve it and you know, get back on track. You know, you, things just sometimes don't go the way we want them to. And of course, what's the mayor's office saying in Taichung there, Donovan? Uh, well, she's been emphasising, you know, that the that safety is the 
priority and that uh, she, you know, that she's not going to, uh, that, that, that first, first and foremost, that the system has to be proved safe before it starts. And uh, by the way, that meant that she couldn't go to the anti-ractopamine uh, autumn struggle rally. Uh, so that was, I'm sure, was a big disappointment for her. She got to miss the inflatable pigs. Um, but yeah, that, that's pretty much what she's been saying. She hasn't been saying a whole lot about it, uh, other than safety first. And do you think it will actually start on time? And what's the general consensus in Taichung? Will you have an MRT system up and running by December the 19th? Well, I, I, we don't know. Um, I, I don't know a whole lot about uh, couplers, couplers, you know, couplers on MRTs uh, to be able to comment. I, I think we're just going to have to wait and see. And what do you think the mood will be? I mean, who will be to blame? I mean, will the, obviously the current mayor be blaming the previous mayor, or who will take the blame for this, do you think? I think that blame will only become an issue if this drags on. Uh, if the launch date is delayed, there will be blame. If, because it was, it was still in a trial period. So it's, during a trial period, you're supposed to find out these kinds of problems. Uh, you know, that's kind of the point. So I think right now, I don't think there's going to be a lot of blame. If, uh, if the launch date is actually delayed, I think then you're going to see a firestorm and a lot of people trying to apportion blame. People will try to blame uh, the mayor. I don't think that's particularly fair because she doesn't really have anything to do with the company that's actually running the MRT. But they will try anyway. And, of course, others will try and blame Lin Jialong and uh, the DPP administration, depending on your political leanings. So there will, there will be people who will try and apportion blame to politicians. But really, at this point, it's been so far out of the politicians' hands that it does, that actually doesn't logically make any sense. And before we go this week, needle phobia is a thing. Well, at least that's what the Centers for Disease Control told us on Wednesday. As fear of needles is to believe the reason why 12 students at the Da De Commercial and Technical Vocational High School in Jianghua County fell ill shortly after receiving government-funded seasonal flu vaccines. Now, the Jianghua County Health Bureau says they were examined at a local hospital and four of the students were kept there for further observation after developing a fever and hand tremors. And now, the Jianghua County government has applied for compensation for the students suffering from the side effects. Now, one vaccination expert at the Taiwan Immunization Vision and Strategy Group said that judging by the fact that several students experience hand tremors simultaneously following the vaccination, the fear of needles could be passed from person to person, Nicola. So, I mean, do you have a fear of needles? And do you think, are you, are you concerned about human transmission of needle phobia? This is something I had never thought about before, but yeah, maybe I'll develop a new paranoia. Um, no, I, I'm not afraid of needles. I don't like having blood taken, but I'm not afraid of needles. But I, yeah, I, I did read up on this a bit before today, and, and it sounds like it is an actual condition, biological and psychological, and I had never heard of it before, but but very interesting phenomenon. I hope they get better soon as well. Uh, yeah, I, I have a mild fear of, of needles. Like I, I, I just tend to look away, but no hand tremors or anything like that. But, you know, I was reading this, and I was thinking, I just wish 
that Sid Vicious and Nan- Nancy Spungen had 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 this fear. That would have changed history. Of course, Nicola, this comes as there was already concern about the safety of some of these seasonal flu vaccines because Korea had a problem with them and Singapore had a problem and then it, was, it kicked off in Taiwan that people were having the seasonal flu vaccines and they might be getting sick from them. Yeah, I... I- I did wonder if there might be um, behind this, it might just be nervousness about the flu vaccine in general. I mean, in, in the Korean case, the, the Korean CDC had said there was no link between um, people who'd had the flu vaccine and then died. There had been no link uh, between the vaccine and their, their deaths. But there was a huge amount of um, public uh, fear in South Korea and, and then... Uh, Singapore also banned a couple of the vaccines that had been used in in Korea. Um, And I think just generally this year, people are a lot more nervous and and on edge about health issues, especially anything to do with flus or respiratory illnesses or, you know, I think that's just natural. and, And I don't think we have seen any evidence to suggest that flu vaccines are unsafe um, at all, it's just a kind of general feeling in in the population of of many countries that that people are just worried about their health and they're worried about their family's health and and there's been a lot of talk about vaccines and and safety and I you know at the end of the day we just have to trust the medical experts and not take our information from social media or you know kind of random online postings. And that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Nicola Smith. Thanks for having me. And on the telephone from Taijong by Donovan Smith. And great to be here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.